You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. It's not every day we have a bonafide movie stars stroll into the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual building overlooking beautiful Puget Sound where we record the Savage Lovecast, but that does happen today. Jason Schwartzman dropped by to, to talk about the new film he's starring in, The Overnight, a comedy written and directed by Patrick Bryce. Uh, and I am in this rare position of loving a sex comedy that if you're a sex writer, a sex researcher in Amer- in the world, anywhere – the number of times you can wholeheartedly and full-throatedly endorse a sex comedy you can count on one hand. I think the sex comedy I could endorse before this one, you have to go all the way back to the 90s, all the way back to Tom Green and The Road Trip, which is a terrific movie. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's smart about sex in a way most sex comedies are not. And The Overnight is smart about sex and smart about marriage, monogamous marriages even, in ways that – Almost all sex comedies are not. Um, it stars not just Jason Schwartzman, but also Taylor Schilling of, you guessed it, Orange is the New Black. She plays Piper in Orange is the New Black. I haven't started watching season three of Orange is the New Black. I'm going to. Terry and I are huge fans of Orange is the New Black. We think it's hilarious and smart and funny and important. It's a really important show. And I was dinking around online this morning right before I sat down to record today's podcast and noticed that there was an article at BuzzFeed about a new character in season three who I have not yet seen named Ruby Rose. And now I am looking at a gif of Ruby Rose and Ruby Rose is fucking hot. Ruby Rose is one of those women that gay men will cruise in grocery stores before realizing that it's a girl. That it's a boyish-looking girl, boyish-looking woman, uh, and not a boyish-looking man. There's this article at BuzzFeed about the reaction of so many people to Ruby Rose. My reaction to Ruby Rose, I'm looking at this gift right now. I would totally do Ruby Rose if you took that head and put it on a guy's body. I would do it. And there's this article at BuzzFeed about other people who are having this same reaction to this character, Ruby Rose. The headline, Queer Women Have a Message for Straight Women quote-unquote, turning gay for Ruby Rose. And the article goes on to detail, article by Sarah Carlin, BuzzFeed News reporter, how annoyed the police on Twitter are at the reaction that so many straight women are having to this character because straight women are taking to Twitter to say, oh, my God, they would totally do Ruby Rose, that Ruby Rose is so sexy they would go gay for her. And this is not okay with the not okay brigades on Twitter, which I find really odd because a lot of the same types of people who are scolding straight women on Twitter for saying they would go gay for Ruby Rose are the same types of kind of flag-wavy queer radical types who say that sexuality is fluid and that people should be more open about that fact, right? And there's a lot of research and data out there to show that particularly female sexuality is fluid a lot more fluid than male sexuality, which tends to be fixed. But female sexuality much more fluid and it seems to me a little disrespectful and hypocritical, but disrespectful of straight women's sexuality to scold them for enthusiastically shouting about how attractive 
this woman is and how attracted to her they are and that they might make an exception for her, that they might be just hetero flexible enough to sleep with Ruby Rose to like wrap their knuckles for that just to me seems a little hypocritical and a little silly and a little self-defeating. We want to live in a world where more people are comfortable expressing their same-sex attractions. I don't think it trivializes same-sex attraction for people to say that there are folks out there that they would go gay for. I'm sitting here saying that I would go straight potentially for Ruby Rose. Not permanently straight, momentarily, episodically, fleetingly straight. And that's not a problem. We should all be comfortable sort of like throwing that out there, throwing that around. And to jump down people's throats, to take to Twitter, to scold people for that seems like a waste of time, effort, and Twitter. But some days it feels like most of the people on Twitter are there to waste those three things. There is precedent for this. This has happened before. All the nice straight women in America in the past have freaked out about a hot, boyish dyke before. Katie Lang on the cover of, was it GQ or Vanity Fair, being shaved by Cindy Crawford. All the straight ladies in America ran around saying that they would go lesbian or gay for Katie Lang. And lesbian sexuality and bisexuality as identities and institutions survived that assault of straight lady desire for another woman. And lesbianism and bisexuality and all of the rest of it will survive this second coming of the hot dyke that all the straight ladies could see themselves doing. We should welcome that. When guys say that they would make an exception for Ryan Gosling, when straight guys say that, I think that's wonderful because they're looking inside themselves and seeing their capacity for same-sex desire. Maybe it's just a bank shot way of acknowledging that somebody of their their own sex is attractive objectively and yet they have to frame it through a gay lens because expressing it makes them uncomfortable or who knows. All I know is that there's somebody out there saying that gay sex is something that they could see themselves doing with the right person. I don't think that's a problem and I don't think we should waste our time, effort and scarce tweets. Remember, Twitter is not an infinite resource. Wrapping the knuckles of the straight ladies freaking out for Ruby Rose. Your calls and Jason Schwartzman coming up, and now your calls. Hey, Dan. Um, this is a 23-year-old straight guy, um, and I have a question about herpes. So I went out on a second date with this girl I met on OkCupid recently, and uh, when I went to make out with her, she was like, hey, so just so you know, I need to tell you that I have HSC2 genital herpes. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, thanks for telling me. And, like, you know, we talked about it a little bit. And I was like, I need to do a little bit of research about this just so I can make an informed decision about, like, if I would want to have sex, you know, knowing that that's the case. And she's on um, antiviral medication, and um, we would be using a condom. So, you know, I know that your, your thing about sort of the risk of STDs and um, you encourage people to, you know, just sort of take all the factors into consideration and then just be like, well, you know, living with people is sometimes a risky thing to do, but it's also really fun. And I think I'm leaning towards the fact that I definitely do want to sleep with her because um, it looks like the risk of transmission is very low. But my question is, is so I'm also sleeping with other people and do I have an obligation to tell them that I'm sleeping 
with somebody who has herpes. Because I guess it's theoretically in very, very improbable circumstances, I'm putting them at risk. And also to be clear, I mean, uh, the person I'm dating and myself, we're all poly and, you know, practicing ethical non-monogamy and all that. So anyways, do you feel like I need to disclose that to people that I'm sitting with, um, either people that I'm sitting with on a regular basis or just people that might be looking up or whatever, um, given that the risk is, is extremely low? So one in six people have genital herpes, HSV2, according to the CDC. Sounds like you're sleeping with about six people and the people that you're sleeping with who are poly, you're all in this poly community, are probably sleeping with other people besides you and the people they're sleeping with are sleeping with other people besides them and on and on and on. It just seems to me that, you know, if you're signing up for multi-partnered sex, if you're polyamorous or monogamous uh, and aggressively so, you are shouldering, taking on the risk of exposure to the easily transmitted herpes or HPV, that that's just something that you are kind of signing up for. And most people who are exposed to herpes, most people who have herpes don't know they have it. Not everyone who's exposed, of course, contracts the disease. And in most cases, you know, how can a lot of people have it without knowing they have it? Because in most cases, it's not that big a deal. Most people have one outbreak or they never have an outbreak, but they do carry the virus and they can pass it along. So, you know, when you wrestle with this question of whether you should disclose, yeah, your sex partners would probably tell you that they would like this disclosed to them. The odds that your sex partners have already been exposed to herpes, considering the poly thing and the multi-partner thing, are pretty high. So you're probably going to wind up disclosing this, if you choose to disclose it, to people who already have herpes and don't know it and should be willing to accept as the trade-off for all the awesomeness that having many sex partners and the polyamorous life, all the awesome things that that brings to you, that the negative, the downside, the trade-off is higher risk of contracting certain sexually transmitted infections that are easily passed along through skin-to-skin contact. If you're the kind of person, you know, if you're you, caller, you are interested in this woman, she disclosed to you that she has herpes and you had to go away and think about it and do your research. If you're the kind of person who is terrified of herpes, who would not have sex with someone because they had herpes and were responsible enough to disclose that to you, you probably shouldn't be polyamorous or in any sort of non-monogamous lifestyle setup. You shouldn't be because you are going to be exposed to herpes sooner or later if you haven't been exposed to it already. I would challenge you as you are researching this to go and get a full battery of STI tests yourself and see if you do not already have herpes like one in six Americans, the vast majority of whom do not know they have it. So I'm not really answering your question. I'm just sort of dancing around because I'm uncomfortable answering your question because on the one hand, I'm pro-disclosure. I think people should disclose. I think people have a right to informed consent. On the other hand, When it comes to disclosing something like this, herpes, a lot of people react in ignorance because of the stigma and the shame attached to it, which exists out of all proportion to the actual downsides of it, to the actual impact of herpes. And then you add on top of that the kind of logical progression of thought that all people who are not monogamous should engage in, which would take them to a place where they would be like, yep. The risk of contracting herpes is worth the benefits of 
this relationship model that I prefer. So I think you should disclose. On the other hand, I think the people to whom you're disclosing this should not have a shit fit. But I know that many – some of them will. Some of them will because people are irrational and engage in magical thinking. And they will tell themselves that the five or six or seven or ten people I'm having sex with couldn't possibly be of the one in six. And that I couldn't possibly be of the one in six. Sometimes I sit here and I wonder about all the times someone with herpes has disclosed to a potential new sex partner that they have herpes, only to have that potential new sex partner freak out and run away. All along, that potential new sex partner had herpes themselves and didn't fucking know it. So should you disclose? Yes, yes, you should disclose. She disclosed to you and that created some sort of cosmic obligation for you to disclose to your sex partners if you become sexually active with her. If any of your sex partners freak out because you're choosing to have sex with someone who knows she has herpes and told you she has herpes as opposed to the many women that you've probably already had sex with who didn't know that they had herpes and so didn't disclose it or knew they had herpes and didn't disclose it, if they freak out and run away, well, you don't really want to be sleeping with Stupid people. Anyway, do you? Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 26-year-old bisexual female living in the Midwest. I've been married to my husband for uh, about uh, three years, and I love him to death. He is seriously one of the best people that I know. But the problem is, is that the way that he approaches me for sex is just completely... Not attractive at all. I come home from work. I'm hella tired. Had a bad day. Said it. Talking about it. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, literally that tone. Okay. You want to go to the bedroom? Want to have six? And it is, if I had a dick, it would be shrinking. And I don't know what to do. Because I feel like if I go with it, you're not just going to be encouraging it. But at the same time, like, I've talked to him about it. And I'm like, when you say, touch my penis, it's really just not cute. And I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I'm so not interested in sex, not interested at all. She just keeps on talking like that. And it's just, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to have a healthy sex life. But he's just talking like a fucking 16-year-old boy who is completely and utterly clueless. And it's just not cute. Like, I flat out told him, put that your dick. I'm like, just start going at it. And that would probably be more attractive to me. Legitimately. More attractive to me than being like, touch my penis and saying it like that or whining, basically, for sex. Yeah. <sighs> I don't really know what to do. Okay, so he asks for sex in this really creepy way. He 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 not baby talk, teen talk. He acts like some gooby teenager from an American Pie movie. That's the problem. Yeah, basically. And you've told him not to do this and he keeps doing it. Yeah, basically. I mean, I just like it's just in you know, his usual response is just kind of, "Oh, well, you know, it's just it's just funny, you know, I don't mean anything by it. It's like, yeah, but that's really not attractive whatsoever. And do you follow through with that? Fact, it's, it's, like, it's not just not funny. It's not fucking sexy. And you've said that. You've been that explicit and direct. Yeah. yeah. And he does it anyway? 
Yeah. Stop fucking him. I haven't. You Which ha- is kind of the you, problem, though. You haven't been stopping or you haven't been fucking? I haven't been fucking. You haven't been fucking him? Not for, like, two months. Which sucks ass. Does he see a connection but, between his approach, his ask, and what is your answer now? Which is, I'm not fucking you. I mean, I think so. But I think that he also might be kind of blaming it on the fact that you know, I'm on antidepressants and that, you know, I also think too that he kind of has some body issues Yep. and feels a little bit self-conscious about yep, it. Yep. Yep. That's just so where because I was, of that. I think that he's that self-consciousness yeah. was where I was going to go next. Some people, many people, a great many people, there's a lot of sex shame in the culture and it's not just thrown at women. It's also thrown at men will be so uncomfortable with their own desires that they need to adopt a kind of obnoxious belittling persona when they try to express those desires. And the person he's belittling when he acts like that gooby teenager isn't you. It's him. That he feels so disassociated from his own desire to fuck you, to be with you, to get off with you, his own attraction for you, that he doesn't know how to express it in a genuine way or an intentionally sexy way. So he expresses it in a way that emphasizes his own discomfort with his sexuality, with his body, with his desire. And so you need to talk to him about this, that what he's broadcasting to you at that moment is he's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not comfortable with wanting to fuck you. And how are you supposed to feel then about fucking him when you know he's not comfortable wanting to fuck you? That There's something about these interactions that make him so uncomfortable that he turns into this obnoxious, repulsive little boy teenage boy. How are you supposed to feel about that? It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you in the moment. It doesn't make you feel sexy. All it does is invoke all of this shame and discomfort and awkwardness that makes it hard yeah. to connect. And it pisses me off too. There's and that too. It, and it pisses you off. But you, this is something you two have to work on together. Like you need to see on some level that he is, he is not just victimizing you with all of this shit, but he, this stuff is a manifestation of how he was victimized himself, not by, you know, an abuser, but by the culture, by sex shame, by body shame, by whatever religion he was raised in, whatever, like, drove that wedge between him and his sexuality. I don't think that he believes that I'm attracted to big guys. Uh-huh. You know, because he's, yeah, he's a big guy, but he's also really fucking strong and has these big, gorgeous arms and you know, like I find that hella attractive. Do you and say, I do tell you, him that. You do tell him that. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is what you tell him next. You have got – how old is your husband? Uh, he is 29. You say to him, you've got to grow the fuck up and take yes for an answer and stop questioning my desire for you. Stop questioning my attraction to big guys generally and big guy you and accept it and accept yourself. And then we will have an awesome sex life. But so long as you're doing this, you can't believe you're really attractive act. It's going to damage our sex life and could fatally damage our sex life. That's so sad. It is sad. So you need to instead of just you, you should wrap his knuckles. You should keep wrapping his knuckles. You should not fuck him when he does this. You should get up and leave the room when he does this like touch my dick thing or whatever in the moment while you guys are fucking like get up and leave the room and say I'll come back when he's gone. When the 14-year-old is gone, give me a shout when my 29-year-old husband is back. 
But you should also, outside of sex and outside of the moment, you should express some sympathy for him. You should reach out to him and say, I know where this kind of shit comes from. And it comes from your own discomfort with your own body, your sexuality, whatever. And I'm sorry that you feel that way and you shouldn't feel that way. And you don't have to act that way with me. Yeah. Because you have nothing to be ashamed of and I love you and I'm attracted to you and I want to fuck you. I just don't want to fuck the 14-year-old. I don't want to fuck the 14-year-old. And you should you <laughs> should help him make that separation. That there, there are these two yeah. people in the room when he does that. There's this 14-year-old that you are not attracted to or this 15-year-old. And there's your husband that you are attracted to. But so long as he's mm-hmm. laying this 14-year-old veneer on top of himself, you can't connect. Yeah. So look at him and say, you want your dick wet? You want to get fucked? You want you want a blowjob? You want to eat my pussy? Leave the 14-year-old outside the room or leave the 14-year-old inside yeah. your head. Like we all have those voices yeah. in our head that that person that's criticizing us, that you know, that self-loathing I think we all like deal with and, and have to roll through life controlling for. Like leave that 14-year-old voice inside your head. I don't need to hear it. Pulls me out of the moment. Yeah. And I love dirty talk. Like – so can be wrong. I fucking love that shit. But it's just like when it's whining, well, it's not dirty talk. I mean, it's just creepy. Yeah. Tell him to fucking stop it. <laughs> you, you've told him I to will. stop it. You've stopped fucking him. My suggestion, go express sympathy and for it, for him, and keep up the other two things, but express some sympathy. And I think maybe that's the missing piece, that once you add that expression of concern and sympathy for his own awkwardness and his own self-loathing because that's that I believe I'm convinced that is what is motivating this. That is where this voice comes from. And if you you, reassure him and identify where that voice comes from for him, maybe he's not aware of it. Maybe he couldn't articulate it, but if you help pinpoint for him where that voice is coming from, I bet you the voice will disappear. Or at least no longer be articulate. No longer set. He will no longer have access to his vocal cords. He will no longer vocalize this shit, even if he's still thinking it on some level. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thank you so much for calling me. Good luck with your husband and his dick, or however it is he says it. I can't even do an impression of a fourteen-year-old. <laughs> his dick. Oh, yeah, his dick. That. Yeah, that's nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, not at all. I don't even think people who are attracted to 15-year-olds would find that sexy. Yeah, Josh Duggar probably wouldn't even like it. <laughs> Ooh, sick Sorry, burn. that was terrible. That, that was terrible. He has it coming. He deserves it. Hello, Dan. This is a 26-year-old bisexual female in Austin, Texas, and me and my friends are at the bar, and we're talking about... Should you retroactively apply gender pronouns for a transgender person? We're talking about Catalan Jenner, and should we, when talking about her Olympic career, say that Catalan Jenner competed in the Olympics and she won a medal, or should we say that Bruce Jenner competed in the Olympics and he won a medal? All of this is with the understanding that we now acknowledge that Catalan Jenner is a woman. I haven't heard of this Catalin Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner. I've heard of her. We all heard of her last week. Uh, I don't know how she would feel about this debate around which pronoun to apply to her wins in the Olympics. 
Um, but I'm pretty sure she wants us to call her Kate because that's the name of her new reality show. Call me Kate, not Catalan. Think of it this way. I saw Parker Malloy make this point on Twitter. Think of it this way. When a woman gets married and takes her husband's name, you don't then use her maiden name when referring to things she did or accomplishments to things she did or things she accomplished before she changed her name. You use her new real last name. We don't stand around having debates and wringing our hands about which name do you use when you refer to Mrs. Whatever back before she was Mrs. Whatever. She's just Mrs. Whatever. So in talking about Caitlyn Jenner's Olympic medals, which she won when she was not yet Caitlyn, you should use her pronouns, the ones she's using now. So she won those medals way back when. Hi, Dan. 24-year-old straight calling from Ohio. I was calling about, I've been um, seeing a guy for about three months. And we had sex on Saturday night, and we did it doggy style. And he kind of did it so hard, I was kind of gasping for air, and I couldn't even really talk. And and then I noticed I had been bleeding. So he um, kind of did it so hard, he started bleeding. He asked me the next day, hey, do you have your period? I said, no, that's how hard you did it. And he said, oops. And it really shook me up, kind of scared right now to, you know, have sex again. And I was wondering how you would deal with this mentally and to make sure it wouldn't happen moving forward. One way to ensure this doesn't happen moving forward is to not fuck this guy ever again moving forward. The correct response when you realize that you've accidentally and I'm being generous to him in characterizing it that way, but when you realize that you've accidentally hurt someone during sex, the correct response is not, oops. The correct response is, I'm so sorry, and oh my God, I feel terrible, and blah blahdy blah And if it you know, went on, if you know, I was hurting you and you didn't feel like you could say something to me in the moment, that makes me feel even worse, and... And we need to work on that and talk about that and unpack that because I wouldn't feel safe having sex again with someone that I hurt the last time I was having sex and they didn't feel like in the moment when I was hurting them, they could say something to me. What was I doing wrong that they didn't feel like they could say something to me in that moment? That would have been the correct response to there's blood on my dick. Are you having your period? No, you fucked me so hard that you made me bleed. That would have been the right response. Oops. Oops is not the fucking right response. Oops is the trapdoor response. Oops is the ejector button response. You do not fuck this guy again, ever. And you tell him why if he asks, but you don't fuck him again, ever. You can have doggy style sex without being injured. People do it every fucking day. But someone who pounds away at you so fucking hard that you can't catch your breath or feel like you can speak in the moment and then you wind up bloodied, that person is an asshole who shouldn't have access to you in that position or any others. We're going to take a quick break from the calls because we have a guest in the studio to take a few questions with us. Jason Schwartzman, he's in town here in Seattle for the Seattle National Film Festival, which wrapped up last week. Uh, he was here to attend a screening of The Overnight. It's a new film from writer-director Patrick Price, starring Jason Schwartzman, Taylor Schilling, Adam Scott, and Judith Godresh, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing. That was nice. That was nice. Was it close? God, God, Godrish. Godrish? Godrish. 
She's French. There's a there's an accent in her name. Yep. I don't know what to do with it. But she's great. And you're great. I saw oh, the film last night. Thank you night, so much. And it was amazing. And, I, and I'm not just humping your leg. And I was really worried I wasn't going to like it. Because I hate all sex comedies mm-hmm. in film. Because they're usually really colossally stupid. And this is the uh, stupid about sex. They may be smart about other things mm-hmm. or funny about some stuff. But dumb about sex. And this film is so smart about sex. Oh, cool. And it's the first smart sex comedy since Road Trip. 15 years ago. Love Road Trip. I do too. Yeah, I love that movie. How did it happen? Well, first of all, tell people what the film's about. No spoilers. but Yeah, well, the spoiler. Okay, so basically uh, Adam Scott and Taylor Schilling play a couple that's moved from Seattle to Los Angeles. And um, they don't really have friends there yet. And their, uh, their son goes to a park and meets another little boy. And I play that little boy's father. And um, we meet, and I, you know, learn that they that they don't really know anyone in L.A. And I invite them over to my house, um, and they f- go anyway, despite that hat. Despite that hat, which is not a spoiler, but your no. character is wearing a hat that, is. in any other context, would be a red flag. You know, it's funny because um, there, I was in Austin, Texas, and I had f- made a movie there called Seven Chinese Brothers, and it also played in the Seattle. Um, Film festival. Anyway, when the movie was over, I went to this. There's like this cowboy store in Austin. Yeah. Oh, uh, in Austin, yeah. Uh-huh. And I was and I was like looking around, and I saw that hat hanging on the wall, and I thought to myself, "I'm gonna need that hat for something." I mean, I I don't know so why, but I bought that hat? hat. I bought that hat, and I just like put it in a closet. I so don't know the, why. The costume designer didn't put it on your head to make the other couples agreeing to come over to your house not look like a colossal error of judgment? Well, it, it, I think it, we agreed upon it together that this would be just the right cherry on top <laughs> of, of, of this of the Sunday. But yeah, because I was like, I think I might have something um, stashed away that could be um, just what the doctor ordered. So the, um, the film is about these these two couples yeah, meet, so they and meet, their kids are get playing. So the your character invites. This other couple over right. for a play date to keep the kids playing, keep That's the kids right, together. That's right, for a pizza night. And, and it, it turns into a play date. It does. It turns into a play date. For and the it, grown-ups. For the grown-ups, yeah. And it and it's sort of like, um, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, most wild experiences or cathartic experiences, whatever you want to call them, do happen. I mean, no one really plans them. I mean, I've never had, like, my brother, for instance, call me and say, like, what are you doing tomorrow? Because I'd like to have a cathartic lunch with you, um, that you just sort of like sit down with someone and you're talking, and then the next thing you know, shit goes down. It's coming. It's coming out, mm-hmm. and um, that's sort of what happens. This night is a lot is called into question, and these couples sort of like go down um, a rabbit hole um, of curiosity and questioning, and um, and I, that's sort of how I have to leave it because there's a lot of spoiler type things, and I don't want to give too much away, but. It's really wild. And it's really smart and without not being funny. It's smart and funny at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes when you talk to people who make theater, make films, there's this – it gets into their heads that it can be smart or funny but not both. Right. And it's both. And it's smart and funny about long-term relationships, parenting, body issues, sexual adventures, people's comfort zones. Yeah. It just works on so much. <laughs> there's so much going on in this film. Yeah. And I'm so excited about it. Oh, me too. I'm so happy. Well, we were so happy that you liked it because when I found out that you were going to be coming and moderating this Q and A, I was so nervous (laughs) because I can't imagine, like, you know, being asked to moderate and what if you don't like it, and you know, especially like this, this, all these things that you were talking about are very much things that you're an expert about, and 
speak beautifully about. Uh, and it would be very um, upsetting if you were just like totally not on board with it. I, so was, I was definitely scared. I was definitely scared. I you was eating scared. a lot of the chocolate popcorn. I was like overeating the chocolate popcorn before like the movie started. I found, like ate two bags of that stuff. But you're going to have to talk about this film a lot because it go. It, yeah, it is coming out in June. Yeah, it comes June? out. Um, uh, comes out June 26th here in Seattle. And nationwide, I guess. It opens a week before in L.A. And so you're going to have to do all sorts of interviews about mm-hmm. this film. You're going to have to talk your head off about this film. So let's not talk about your film anymore okay. to give your brain a break. Let's actually take some questions Fantastic. and you can give some sex advice. Great. Hi, Dan. This is a, uh, a California couple in their mid-20s, Colin. We just had a strange experience uh, with the website Couchsurfing, where you stay at someone's house for free. Um, we stayed at this guy's house. He's in his mid-40s. And at first, everything was uh, pretty normal. Seemed like a cool, nice guy. We offered him a drink. Then he started offering us drinks. Pretty soon, he was pressuring us to drink quite a bit. Then started flirting pretty hard with my girlfriend. And then, you know, hitting on her. And ultimately, uh, asked us if we were swingers. And uh, that made us feel pretty uncomfortable. It was... He, he, it felt a bit creepy. And now we're not exactly sure what to do. On the whole, we liked him, and we're not sure whether or not he would try to pull this shit on other people, or if it, you know, like a single girl who was staying there, or if it was just some vibe that we were giving off, and so we're not sure what type of review we should leave him, whether we should leave him a review at all, whether we should leave a very honest review, basically detailing exactly what happened. We're not sure. So this question, the mm-hmm. circumstance parallels in some small way echoes wow. of yeah, the overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, many yeah, there are some similarities here. I mean, I'm curious to know what you would think, but I would say you should give the guy the honest re- you should give an honest review about that experience so that no one else finds themselves I mean, I, I my gut feeling is you were not giving off a swinger vibe. I think the guy was trying I mean trying depends who happen. it depends the, the details of the drink offering honestly that would be the most that would be the thing I'd be the who who offered who a drink first maybe that's where well he he does say that they all began drinking but yeah. then he began to sort to of push, push them to yeah. drink more yeah and I think that's the most revealing exactly. detail if that's actually what de- yeah, went it, down it, if that's those how it the happened, details yeah if that the he guy, was plying you with alcohol exactly. trying to get you into a state where your obten- uh, you know consent exactly. could be obtained exactly under yeah, alcohol duress or whatever we call it these days. Absolutely, that I, you do have even an obligation on like a, a site like Couchsurfing or Uber, not Uber. What the fuck is the BRB? Yeah, B- Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like part of that whole like social media slash in people's houses setup. Sure, the whole thing is predicated on grounded in everyone sharing information about each other, so you don't yeah. wind up in a serial killer's basement. I think that if you escape from a serial killer's basement, who you got there because you, you went to Airbnb, rating. you should give them a bad review. Yeah, I agree. If you get out of the, yeah, if you escape, that you have you have an obligation to give them one out of five stars, and I think that. Um, I think for sure, yeah. If and the, if the lotion in the basket was of a poor quality, you might want to mention that too. Exactly, or past its expiration date. You know, these are these are not little things that should be overlooked. And uh, yeah, I think that probably that would be something that would be I would I would notify someone um, this, because it seems like a, it seems like the pushing of chemicals to get things swirling starts to feel strange to me. If indeed those are the details. 
There's some pushing of chemicals in the overnight. There are. There are some pushing of chemicals in the overnight. Absolutely. But we find out later. We won't give it away because it would be a spoiler. Yes. This call is sort of uh, part of a, a, a larger pattern or dynamic or inhibition that people feel. Someone will do something very creepy to you. And you won't want to call them out on it or say something because you don't want to embarrass them or hurt their feelings even though they just did this insanely creepy thing to you. Like people will – you know, someone will sit next to somebody on the bus and put their hand on their leg and the person who's being assaulted doesn't want to make a scene. Mm. So they sit there quietly and endure it yeah. and it's somehow this inhibition in a good, decent person's character not to – Sure. Make somebody else feel like an asshole. Yeah. Even though they're being an asshole, they should yeah. feel like an asshole. Absolutely. And if this guy was an asshole to you guys and made you uncomfortable and did a creepy thing and plied you with alcohol and was trying to get in your pants in a really aggressive, obnoxious way, mm-hmm. don't worry about hurting his feelings or his rating. Put that Absolutely. Out there. And as you say in the in the call, really for the next people online, be careful. That's my yeah. I absolutely agree. It, but it's fine to make a pass. It's fine to make a pass. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I people would say, get laid. People like get things laid. happen. Yeah, Sometimes things people, happen. you know, people meet and there's like a spark and somebody has to make the move. Sure. The, the measure of whether someone's a decent human being is if they misread signals and make the move, mm-hmm. how far they pull back right away. They apologize. Yeah. They walk it back. Yeah. They do everything they can to compensate for yeah. making that person feel uncomfortable but if they if they make the pass and then they just keep going when you're clearly yeah. saying no or clearly like broadcasting that this is not okay with you and they're like let's have another bottle of booze yeah I wonder I wonder what it was like too like just imagine they were going to bed that night in the house right it's not like they parted there I mean they were then going to bed in the house which I think is I wonder what that was like well if it was the Duggar house there would be a lock on every bedroom door oh my gosh hi Dan I have a question for your one minute show. My coworkers picked all famous people to use their hall passes on. I picked Township Police Officer Mike, my husband's cardiologist, and a guy who works in our building. I felt shamed for being honest. Am I abnormal because I never fantasize about famous people, only people who I actually know? Who do famous people fantasize about? Famous person? Gosh. Who's your hall pass? I don't. Uh, I don't know what my hall pass is. I don't. Because uh, you're a married man, you have kids. I am married. Yeah. The, the hall pass thing is this idea that you know yeah. a couple that can be honest about the fact that even though they're together and they're committed and they have a monogamous commitment, they're still going to be attracted mm-hmm. to other people, mm-hmm. and they will have conversations maybe mm-hmm. about the kinds of types of people they're attracted to, mm-hmm. and they will say, okay, if you know Brad Pitt ever wants to fuck you, go ahead, you can fuck yeah. Brad Pitt. And I think that framing of it is you're never going to get exactly. fucked by Brad Pitt. Yeah. That can never happen. So exactly. I give you permission to do that thing that can never happen. Right. But as a famous person, mm-hmm. you're in rooms with famous people. So if you have that kind of conversation with your wife, who's your hall pass? Some waitress in Nebraska you've never met? That's a great question and I, I'll answer it in a sort of roundabout way which is that, well, first of all, I try to live a life where no matter what my friends say, it's all okay. You know what I mean? For the most part, like, you know, you, I try to listen and just appreciate what they're saying and help if I can and try not to make someone feel bad about anything they say, you know? I mean, obviously you don't, if someone says something terrible, you want to give them. Somebody says, I'm going to get a neck tattoo. Do you speak up? Uh, It depends on uh, who it is and what the tattoo is going to be, I suppose. I'm going to get a swastika on my neck. I would say I strongly recommend you do not do that. In fact, I think that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Um, So there is a point. Absolutely. Um, but um, I would say absolutely, Mom. That's a crazy idea. But it's about um, it's about Indian spirituality and the ancient Hindu symbolism. That's not true. They flipped it. Um, I would say that's not true. 
But um, but I would say but that when I look at it in the mirror, it'll be flipped back. Still, I, I can't get your support I, for my. I would say that you. Really, I mean, I would say if you're really going that far into it, and that's truly what you believe, you are putting that on yourself, and you are going to be harassed. I think, and you're not going to hear the end of it, and you're going to have to say this Hindu symbol. You're going to be explaining for the rest of your life, and I think that you might be in situations where you're not going to have time to explain that. And it could get nasty. So you might want to start wearing Elizabethan ruffled collars. Yeah, or a mock turtleneck or yes, something. Always everywhere um, you go. But, um, uh, but so for this question, in my, in my mind, I think what's interesting is that like she was just being us. She's saying like, I feel bad. I was just being honest. So I think that it's bad that – Her friends shamed her. Yeah. That's what you think is bad. I Not do. that she's bad. Her friends were being shamed. Yeah. But I also think what's interesting about the question is that um, a hall pass – the whole thing about the hall pass essentially is that it's never going to happen. You know, it's like, which planet would you like to go to if you could go to any planet? Mm-hmm. And then be like, well, where would you go if you could go like anywhere in the world? It's like, I want to go to Paris. I want to go to Rome. And then she's saying like, I want to go to Sacramento. And it's like, <laughs> she could really go there. You know what I mean? So I think that that's sort but of But you like, have a better chance of getting to Paris or Rome than you do of getting into Brad Pitt's pants. Yeah, yes, true. But in in my analogy... Paris is doable, Brad isn't. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely true. But my point is that I I could see why they're sort of there maybe saying, um, whoa, you know, that's... You're walking a line now where actually we're talking about something that could possibly happen. But I also think that that's not fair to her. She's talking about her fantasy. Do you know what I think her friends probably... Their reaction was informed by? When she said... The mailman, the They wanted him too. Not that they wanted those people, but they had sure. to confront that inside themselves. Yeah, Absolutely. there's people in their orbit in their life and their Absolutely. that they could fuck and might fuck. Yeah. And so her just being like honest her about that made them feel a little hypocritical, made them feel a little bit – Absolutely. They had to look at their own capacity to sure. cheat because she was basically putting that out there. Like, Yeah, I think that was so cool that she said that and I think that – yeah, I think deep down they were saying, oh, well – of course, I mean, obviously, I feel like I want to be with this person and this person, but we're talking about hall passes, you know. So, so that's what I, I for sure think that, yeah. Because um, it all goes back to the the cultural sort of obsession uh, and and focus on or uh, problem with monogamy. Because mm-hmm. her friends talking about the movie stars they would fuck if they could fuck, but never will be able to fuck, mm-hmm. didn't really undermine their monogamous commitments or the monogamous ideal. Exactly. Her talking about people in her life that she could actually get to their dicks. Mm-hmm. Someday soon. So me, the the idea of me yeah. sleeping with someone beside my husband isn't an impossible fantasy. It's a very realistic fantasy. Yeah, and she's probably it's and probably like extra sexy to her that it is like something she could truly like yeah. imagine. Like, but famous. Look, I want to get back to famous people. Yeah. In life. Well, Do you I guys don't have hall passes. Per- personally, how, that, how, how does that work if you are like Brad Pitt? Well, I can't. I can't speak for it. I mean, I don't really know. You can't I, give Brad Pitt a hall pass because he can fuck anybody he wants. I was thinking about that earlier. Um, I was asking uh, these people who are driving us around here about Ryan Gosling, and I was who like, could also fuck anybody. He well, wants. yeah. Well, so I was saying, like, do you think Ryan Gosling's is Ryan Gosling your type? And then the girl said, Ryan Gosling is everyone's type. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was thinking, so I was like, okay. And it was like I was thinking about that the rest of the ride over. I was thinking, what does it feel like to be everyone's type? I mean, obviously, it's not everyone's type, but what a tremendous feeling that must be. And that that's what that's a cul-de-sac of a sentence, really. What I that's a cul-de-sac concept. What I'm saying, it doesn't. I don't need to go anywhere with it. I'm just saying it could end there. But it's, I was just thinking, what that's like, like, yeah, like, what's that be like? But I no, I I think celebrities. I I can't speak for everyone. I don't have like a hall pass uh, concept. And when I'm in like a, a room, 
with like a bunch of people. I think they all look like they're they all look really tall and really beautiful and all seem to have like very powerful um seeming relationships and uh, spouses beside them. So I don't I it's not sexy to me to like imagine that kind of situation like uh in with those people. Sexier from afar, that shit. I guess not even my thing. Hey, Dan. I am a 28-year-old straight chick uh, living in Chicago, and I have an issue that I could use some feedback on, mostly that my mother is uh, your stereotypical Jewish mother, so she's very uh, overly involved and domineering and a bit of a helicopter parent. We ran into an issue because I recently moved back to Chicago, and um, I... uh, got an IUD placed with my new insurance and there was a mix up and they accidentally sent the bill to my old address, which was my parents' address. And my mother immediately wanted to know why I hadn't told her that I was getting an IUD and that I didn't trust her and that I didn't have any faith and that she needed to know about this because it's pertinent information to her. And I fucking disagree on this. I think that I am allowed to make my own goddamn decisions as an adult and my mom argues that I need to run things by her because I can't make decisions in a vacuum and she assumes that I'm not going to make the right choice. I don't know what that means. Um, In addition, I work in the healthcare field and I did a lot of research. So it's not like I just randomly woke up one day and decided to get a facelift or whatever. It's a decision that I thought about for a long time and what worked best for me and I did all of my research how do I tell my mom that it's none of her fucking business and that my sex life is private and she doesn't get to know what goes on with that? You have to go, but this is an easily dispatched question. Yeah, I would say that uh, I know what it's like to have, you know, like, uh, you know, parents being involved in your life. And so I can, you're, you know, I can relate to what you're saying. But I think that um, I agree with what you're saying that it's it, none of your it, mom's it, business. It's your business, exactly. It's your business, not her business. Um, and I think you're doing nothing wrong or keeping nothing. You're not. You don't have to tell her any. You're a 28 year old woman. Um, I will say, maybe on some fundamental level, uh, and not to sound preachy, but that you don't necessarily believe that, or else you wouldn't be calling. For uh, our affirmation. Yeah, for our affirmation. So I think you know the answer. And I think you seem like you've got good instincts about it, so you should trust yourself because you're most likely right, and you should know that about yourself, that you've got um, a good gut feeling about things, most likely. You're a 28-year-old woman. Yeah. What you put in your twat exactly. is your deal. Exactly. It's your business exactly. entirely. Exactly. And you need to say fuck off to yeah. mom so. and not engage in a conversation with her about it. Don't get drawn into conversation. Yeah. None of your business, mom, period, the end. Yeah, done. And if she won't shut up about it, you get up and leave. Exactly. Yeah, you're in... Yeah, there's a difference between like a mom having an opinion and an opinion is said once, sometimes. Coming out and coming and coming, that's not, that's, it's end of the conversation. The film is called The Overnight. It opens June 19th. Uh, that said, I am very nervous for my mom to see this movie. Oh, I, I bet you yeah. would be. Holy yeah. crap. I am, So speaking of moms, I'm like, yeah, don't sign your mom's thing. And I am like thinking here, I wonder how, in what context I'm going to see this with my mom. <laughs> Are you allowed to say to your mother, this one isn't for you? My mom didn't read a couple of chapters in one of my books. Uh-huh. She said, is there anything in here I don't want to know? Huh. There are things the mother has a right not to know. Sure. And I was like, don't read chapter 17 and chapter 22. Hmm. And I ripped them out of a copy and gave her a copy. Wow, and she never read them. Cool. That's cool. Are there films your mother 
hasn't seen that you don't want her to see? Could this be that film? I no, might I, think I, it would be. I, you know, my I've never I sort of like have a thing where I don't press upon her any movie and just hope that if she would like to see it on her own time and what she's interested in she should go see it's never like um please see this like uh, i'll just say hey, i did this i w- worked on a movie and that's it and if you'd like to see it let me know and if not it's okay do you ever trick her by saying like i have a cameo in pitch perfect 2 and then trick her into go to see a movie you're not in no but that's a great idea i never thought to do that that's a wonderful then just idea. to sit through that whole awful movie waiting oh, for you and you wow. never show up that's amazing and then i would say what they what? I'm not. I wasn't. In, are you sure? <laughs> are you kidding me? You're kidding me, Mom. I got to call you back. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman, thank you thank so you. much this for coming. This is great. This in. is wonderful. It was thank really, so really much. fun. Oh, it's ba- I wish that I could do this for longer. So I hope that maybe next time I can. Anytime you're in town and you want to do the show, we, we would love to have you back. Hell yes. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23 year old gay male living in the south of the United States. I have recently started dating a wonderful man. He has completely changed my idea about relationships and I'm actually starting to think that he might be someone that I want to spend a really long time with. However, he shares a name um, with someone who sexually abused me when I was a child. I have gone to therapy uh, regarding this person, regarding this trauma, and I have fully overcome it and um, I feel like I've moved past it. Um, but when uh, my, my boyfriend and I are having sex, Sometimes I'll use his name, and instead of uh, my boyfriend's face popping you know, up into my brain, it's my abuser. And um, this really wouldn't be that much of a problem, but I want to come, and I want to not, and I just can't whenever I say his name in bed because of the association with my abuser. So I was wondering um, what I should do. Uh, my boyfriend has no idea that I was abused. He has no idea about this association. I try to give him nicknames. Um, you know, those work fine um, sometimes, but I still just can't not. So I'm open to telling him, but not right now, just because it is relatively soon. And he is the first guy that I've dated since uh, my last relationship, uh, which was physically abusive. Um, so I'm wondering where, where to go with this. You ask where you should go with this, and I think you should go with this to a shrink because uh, it doesn't sound like you're completely over it if no one else – and not that anyone is ever completely over abuse, right? We all have our scars and we're entitled to them and we're entitled to reasonable accommodations for our insecurities or our triggers or whatever you want to call them. Um, but if somebody else in your bed or in the world having the same last name as your abuser can so derail you in the moment, I think that something – to unpack and explore at greater length with a therapist than you could possibly with a jackassy faggot with a sex advice podcast. You should tell your current boyfriend this. I hope that you have shared with him the abuse, uh, that this is part of your history. I hope he was compassionate and understanding about it. If he does not know that he shares the same name with your abuser and that sometimes that can pull you out of the moment and make it impossible for you to nut you should talk about whether there are other names. Not that he should have to change his name, but does he have a middle name that he also likes to go by or went by ever in his life? Is there a pet name that you could call him that wouldn't make him want to leap off a tall building or throw up? There are workarounds, but 
the fix for this, the solution for this is counseling and unpacking and working through it. But a compassionate boyfriend, a, a, a loving guy who happens to be in love with somebody who suffered this kind of trauma, hopefully is compassionate enough to be willing to accommodate that slightly irrational insecurity or slightly rational insecurity by allowing you to call him by his middle name, by coming up with a mutually agreed to pet name that doesn't make him again want to jump off a tall building. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I am a married female. I've been married to a man for 25 years and I have two grown children. I love my husband. I'm happily married. I want to be married to my husband for the rest of my life. However, I have never been a well-behaved wife and I never really want to be a well-behaved wife on the inside, even though my friends, my family, and even my husband believe that I am well-behaved. So to set the definition of well-behaved, I'm talking about things that I might do that I know would anger and upset my husband. This might include charging debt on the credit cards, shopping at the expensive grocery store that we can't afford, or having more than one drink and driving home. So the specific situation of my most recent bad behavior is that I maintained a platonic friendship with a man that I had an affair with five years ago. This was an affair that was born out of two needs. One was my need to be badly behaved. The second was a need to be connected with someone that was sexually simple and uncomplicated at a time when sex in my marriage was not. My husband and I worked through the affair, moved forward, and decided to remain married. Every year, I meet with the man I slept with five years ago, and we simply catch up on each other's lives. It's 100% platonic. We don't talk about our past sexual relationship, and after two hours, we each go our own ways. This year, my husband walked into the bar where we were meeting and caught us. He was very angry and once again forbid me from seeing this man. However, I'm not inclined to follow his rules. I'm not trying to sabotage our marriage. Uh, in my opinion, based on what is in my heart and in my head, this once-a-year meeting is not a threat to our marriage. And this situation is just one example of how I feel the need to behave badly. But my question is not about this specific situation. It's more about why I feel the need to rebel and follow my own rules and do what I want, even though I know that I'm hurting my husband. My intention is not to hurt my husband or my children or my friends or family. So my question is, why do I feel the need to behave badly? Is this okay? And how do I approach being myself without damaging my marriage? Any, adv any advice or thoughts you might have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. I've had to listen to your call six times, trying to wrap my head around exactly what is going on here. You rattle off a list of naughty things that you do, ways in which you rebel that include charging debt on credit cards, shopping at the expensive grocery store that we can't afford instead of the cut-rate grocery store you can't afford, having more than one drink and driving home. These are things that your husband forbids you to do and you do them anyway because you're not a well-behaved wife and you don't want to be a well-behaved wife. You seem very invested in this identity of the not – well-behaved wife, which leads me to believe after 25 years together that perhaps you're in a relationship or from a culture 
maybe a faith background where a woman is supposed to be a well-behaved wife and that is not who you want to be. So you rebel in these small and stupid and sometimes dangerous perhaps ways. You don't say how many drinks you have before you drive home. If it's two, okay, maybe. If you're having three or four or five drinks and driving home, fuck you. That's not safe. But if your husband blows up when you go to Whole Foods once in a while, if your husband blows up when you buy something on credit that you can afford over the long run and I don't know if you have a job too, but it's your money too. Even if it, you don't have a job, technically, it's your money too and you should be able to reasonably take on debts now and then. If he blows up about piddling shit and he's so controlling and the relationship is so toxic that you can only assert your sense of control and autonomy in the margins and get back at him and the culture and the well-behaved wife thing that your friends and neighbors and whatever else have shoved down your throat. Okay, I can understand that. I can also understand why your husband wouldn't want you having a drink with the guy you had an affair with five years ago. That's perfectly reasonable. It's also, considering all the little ways in which you have been an ill-behaved wife, it's reasonable for him not to believe you when you insist this relationship is now platonic. You're not a well-behaved wife. Not well-behaved wives will lie right to their husbands' faces. But this, these, these aren't your questions. You aren't inclined to follow his rules. The 25 years of marriage, there's a pattern here. Nothing I can say is going to undo this. Either you're a nut or he's an asshole and you have Stockholm Syndrome and it's some combo platter of all that shit. Your question, why do you feel need to rebel? Perhaps to assert yourself in the margins, perhaps to maintain some sense of yourself as an independent, autonomous individual and not an extension of your husband. Maybe it's that. And why would you do this even though you know it's hurting your husband? Because you know it's hurting your husband. If this is about some power play dynamic, you're hurting him on purpose. That's why you're doing it. That's why you're behaving badly. Is it okay? I don't know. It sounds really fucked up. It doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. It doesn't sound like two adults got together and worked it out and carved a groove into each other and now fit together. It sounds like a controlling husband and a misbehaving childish wife who probably gets off on having a controlling husband because it allows for you to be the misbehaving wife with some justification because you're pushing back against his control. As for how you can be yourself without damaging or hurting your husband, you can divorce your husband and run off and be yourself. You can be an autonomous individual who is not answerable to another autonomous individual by no longer being married to someone else. And you can do whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want, with whomever the fuck you want. But I suspect you won't do that because this misbehaving wife thing, this secret double life with – where to your children and your neighbors and your friends and the other folks at the church, you are the model of wifely devotion, submission, comportment, behavior. But you know yourself to have hidden depths. You dig this. It gives you some sort of psychic or erotic charge. And I doubt you're going to run away from it. In a way, your marriage has been a long, 
long role-playing game that it's possible your husband didn't know he was signing up for. Good luck. Sounds like you two deserve each other. Hi, Dan. I am a 22-and-a-half-year-old recently questioning my sexuality, formerly straight, now thinking I might be a lesbian, bisexual. I don't know how to classify it. Um, anyways, the reason I'm calling is because I really do want to pursue a lesbian relationship with a woman. But the only thing is I don't know how to have lesbians take me seriously. I'm, you know, 20, 23 almost, and I just had my first sexual encounter with a woman a couple months ago. I am attracted to the more experienced lesbian because they know what they're doing. I want someone to be able to show me the ropes, but I feel like it's frowned upon in the lesbian society to be a woman who thought they were straight. Now they're questioning everything. I want people to take me seriously. I really do think that this is something I want to pursue, but how do I find the right woman who will take me seriously and really know and understand that I do want to pursue a relationship with a woman? If it's frowned upon in lesbian society to be a woman who used to think she was straight, then almost all lesbians are frowned upon in lesbian society, right? Even I, I'm gay. I'm gay, gay, gay. There was a time in my life where I thought I was straight. Didn't survive the onslaught of puberty, but yeah, I thought I was straight for five fucking minutes too. Doesn't disqualify me from being gay. And questioning your sexuality shouldn't necessarily disqualify you from being taken seriously or being smiled upon in lesbian society. You just have to over up about it. You are where you are. You're in the place you're in. And you just put that out there. And women who don't want to deal with a newbie, experienced lesbians who prefer other experienced lesbians will not date you. And that is their right. There are, however, experienced lesbians out there who love nothing more than showing in an experienced newbie the lesbian ropes. And just by being open about who you are and where you're at, you will attract those experienced lesbians, the experienced lesbians who would be up for you and interested in you. And isn't that the kind of experienced lesbian that you want to get with, an experienced lesbian who would like to be with you for who you are, not an experienced lesbian who is condescending to be with you despite who you are and where you're at? Stop projecting your insecurities and fears onto the great big amorphous lesbian society. There is no lesbian Supreme Court or Politburo that is judging you. There's no application process. And get out there and date and be comforted by the fact that it is a cliche in lesbian land that lesbians frequently come out later in life, later in life than gay guys do, that it is not uncommon for women to come out as lesbians in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, sometimes after marriages and children with male partners, you are not disqualified at 22 that you're coming to this, that you're working through it, that you're thinking about it, that you're open to a relationship with a woman. You are not disqualified from lesbian love. You're also not disqualified from other questioning woman love, that you may wind up meeting someone who's in the exact same place you are. And you shouldn't disqualify her for being you any more than you want to be disqualified 
for being you. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old married straight woman, and I just wanted to call uh, and be just another straight lady in favor of pegging. My husband and I love it. I didn't realize until recently that uh, you were responsible for giving it that name. But yeah, I love the power it gives me over his pleasure. And he loves giving me that power. And it's a great addition to our straight monogamous sex life. Yeah, just another straight lady in favor of pegging. I like to say that my sample here at the Lovecast and at Savage Love the Column is hopelessly skewed in that people send me letters or they call in with questions when something's wrong. And I rarely hear from people when something's right. So it's nice to get a call from a satisfied customer for whom pegging is going right. But pegging like Santorum, I get the credit for that the neologism that came out of grew out of Savage Love, but I have to give the credit where credit is due. My readers came up with pegging. I mentioned in my column that it was exhausting and ate up a lot of space when you had a limited word count to rattle off a woman fucking a man with a strap-on dildo every time this subject came up and I thought we needed a one or two syllable word for that. And my readers all sent in potential words that could mean a woman fucking a man in the ass with a strap-on dildo. I printed a bunch of them and peg, pegging, pegger, one. So that was the collective wisdom of the Savage Love readers. Not my thing alone. Not my thing at all, actually. That was my readers and they deserve all the credit. And thank you for calling in with an example of a uh, happy and contented sexual relationship to help balance out my very, very skewed sample. Hi, Dan. I am a 28-year-old straight girl from San Francisco. I've been hooking up with a guy for about six months now, and it is the best sex I have ever had. Um, We're extremely sexually compatible. We both have really high libidos. We're open-minded. We're both adventurous. Every time we get together, we have these marathon sex sessions that literally last for hours. He's incredibly gorgeous. He's generous in bed. He's smart. He makes me laugh. Um, but the catch is that he is buried. Um, his wife doesn't know that he sleeps with other women, and it bothers me that I'm enabling him to cheat on her, but the sex has just been too good to resist. Aside from being conflicted about being the other woman, I'm a little worried that sleeping with him is distracting me from finding someone who I could realistically have a future with. So um, my question is, should I try to wean myself off of him? And if so, how do I go about doing that? Because my attempts so far have been unsuccessful. You're like Hamlet if Hamlet was a lady sitting on a deck, right? You just can't make up your mind. You can't decide what to do. You feel terribly conflicted because on the one hand, the sex is amazing. The dick you're sitting on is great or the face you're sitting on is great at that face-sitting thing. But he's married and he's cheating on his wife and you are enabling the cheating because you are the one that he is cheating on his wife with. You are making this adultery and infidelity happen and you just don't know what to do. So you're going to sit there on the dick for a little while longer and think about it because the dick is so good. Here's what you're going to do. If indeed you want to go find someone else, you're going to end this thing with him. If not for her sake, if not for the sake of the wife who's you know on the receiving end of this infidelity that you're facilitating by sitting on his dick, 
for your own sake. Because so long as this guy is in your life providing you with this great, awesome, Hamlet-y, conflict-inducing sex, you're not going to build up the kind of tension, drive, desire to go out there and flip over rocks or bar stools or whatever until you find another guy who's just as good and hopefully either single or in an ethical non-monogamous relationship and not like this guy in an unethical non-monogamous relationship. Hi, Dan. I'm a 45-year-old straight male from Salt Lake City. And my wife just turned 50. And as part of her 50th year, I offered her to have essentially a hall pass. The only restrictions on that hall pass were that she go take advantage of it and that she tell me about it. If she wanted me to be part of it, that was fine. If she didn't, that was fine as well. Uh, I actually asked this question on Dear Prudy on HuffPost a while back and was rather chastised by the crude person that she is. And someone commented that I should probably call Dan Savage and ask what this was about. In any event, it wasn't the, the fact that I gave it to her. It was the fact that she was hurt by my telling her that this was available for her. And so what my question is, is the fact that I wanted to get her a different type of pleasure that I can provide someone different the strange, whatever it might be, male, female, uh, whatever she would like, that that was somehow an affront to our relationship. And so I'd like you to comment on whether or not you think that being open in that way is for my benefit only, or if it truly is an opportunity to provide your partner with an additional form of pleasure that they had not experienced before. Let's think for a second about why your wife might have been hurt by this gracious offer of a hall pass on the occasion of her 50th birthday. She may have felt like the secret message was that at age 50, you were no longer attracted to her and you wanted her to go find other people to fuck her because you wouldn't be fucking her anymore. You were less interested in fucking her now than you were earlier in your marriage. Or she could be one of those people who – wants to feel wanted, that your willingness to share her or your desire to share her undermined her whole erotic script in the context of your marriage, in the context of this long-term monogamous relationship, which is that she was invested erotically in your default or perceived desire not to share her with anybody, that you wanted her all for you. And that was sort of hardwired, baked into I call it the default monogamous commitment that you were in because she just assumed that you felt that way because that's what people do mostly in long-term relationships. They assume their partner wants monogamy because their partner would never share them with anybody. For some people, that's a torment because they would like to be shared or like to not be trapped in a monogamous relationship. For other people, it's what works about monogamy for them or part of what works about monogamy for them is it – it gives them a charge. It makes them feel desired. They want to feel possessed in that way, owned in that way. Maybe that's it. Maybe that was the issue. Maybe that's why your wife was hurt. Or maybe your wife was hurt by the fundamental dishonesty of this offer because it really wasn't about her at all. You say you wanted her to take advantage of it and dot, 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 tell you about it because it 
turns you on because you have a hot wife fantasy or you have a cuckolding fantasy. So she may have reacted negatively out of confusion because you weren't being honest and she could tell that she was picking up on the missing piece here, that you were being squirrely and weird and not direct because you said, this is something I'm giving to you, this hall pass. When what was actually going on was the hall pass for her was something you were giving to yourself. Maybe you should have been honest about that. Maybe she would have been less likely to be hurt if she, on top of this bolt from the blue offer to let her fuck anybody she wants, she wasn't picking up on some underlying deceit. And maybe she interpreted that. Maybe she sensed deceit and then wondered what else you were deceiving her about. Maybe she thought as you were being squirrely and weird and not saying who this gift really was for, it was really for you, that you were offering her this hall pass to go fuck somebody else because you had gone and fucked somebody else. And this was about balming your guilty conscience, not providing your wife with a new and fun pleasure opportunity. There's nothing wrong with wanting your partner to fuck other people. There's something wrong with rolling that out to your partner like it's something they want or it's a gift you're giving them. So here's what you do. If you dare to broach this subject again with your wife, you do it from a more honest place. You would like to explore. You would like to have sexual adventures together. This is one potential sexual adventure. If it's something that she would want to do, if she's ever wanted to sleep with other people, reassure her that you haven't, if indeed that's true, that you haven't slept with other people. This isn't about assuaging your guilt. But if she wanted to, you would find that very sexy because she's very sexy. And there's something about the thought of her being intimate with somebody else that really turns your crank. And then see what she says when you approach this with some honesty. And don't do it on her fucking birthday. So I'm a staunch supporter of casual sex, both in theory and actuality. And, you know, this is a thing that, that I try to do responsibly. I try to have, you know, conversations about intention and consent and boundaries. Um, but those aren't things that you're taught when you're a kid. They're not something that come easily to me. And I don't think they come easily to my partner. So, you know, we're all working on it and we're all trying. And, you know, I don't always do it the best way. So sometimes I, you know, uh, I'm excited and I'm, I'm with a partner and it's new and, you know, we're making out, we're rolling around. And this thing that happens really frequently, more than you would think and more than you would hope with men specifically, it's never happened with women, but with men specifically is, you know, you're fooling around and they just try to slip it in, usually without a condom. Um, there's no like, Hey, do you want to have sex? Hey, what are your boundaries? You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes, uh, men will instigate this conversation, but normally I have to instigate it and I wait a little too long and they just go for it. And it's awful. I know, but it happens so, 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 so much that at this point I'm like, I don't know how I should react. What, what, what I should do. Should I, should I be angry? Should I throw the person off and be like, what the fuck are you doing? No, absolutely not. Or should I use this as a teaching moment, like, okay, maybe they've never had a conversation about consent and protection and boundaries. You know, maybe they've never asked a girl, can I kiss you? Would you like to have sex? Maybe they think it's in the movies where everything is spontaneous and fun and assumed. So my question is, when this happens, as it frequently does, and someone just 
goes for it without asking. You know, obviously I will feel a guilt and a blame for not having instigated a conversation about consent early enough in this sexually charged situation, and I will do my best to instigate it sooner next time and to continue working on that practice. But when it happens, how do I react? You know, am I, am I angry? Am I empathetic? Am I, you know, do I, is it my responsibility to teach this person? I feel like as their sexual partner, it is, but you know, what would you, what would you do if you were fooling around with somebody and they just went for it? I don't have to speculate about what I would do in this situation. I could tell you what I have done in this situation because this has happened to me rolling around, messing around with somebody years ago, many years ago. Um, and this move to just initiate unprotected intercourse, no condom, dicks and butts, uh, without any discussion. And what I did in those situations was pull away and put my hand squarely on the dude's chest and look at him and say, what the fuck are you doing? I would recommend that you do the same. What the fuck are you doing? Just ask a question. What are you doing? What are you doing right now? And then they have to answer that question. And guys would say, I just wanted to, I thought maybe, I thought it would be okay. I thought you were fine. I'm not, I'm not positive. I just thought you weren't positive. And so it'd all be cool. I was like, it's not cool. And you can't know I'm not positive and I can't know you're not positive. And I'm not interested in doing this. And you should have asked. And we can keep doing this with a condom or you can pick up your dick and pick up your pants and go. That's what I would do. That's what I have done and I would encourage you to do the same. You can have a more drawn out extended conversation about consent if you like and you should because one of the ways in which we leave our partners in better shape than we found them sometimes is by giving them a good sharp symbolic, not literal smack upside the head when they do something stupid or inconsiderate or consenty violaty speak up in that moment. And I, I gift you my stock phrase when I found myself in that situation. What the fuck are you doing? Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a response um, to the woman who was worried about her ex-boyfriend. You told her not to open her email, his emails, which is good, but you also told her to delete them. And I really think that she should save those because in case she ever does need to take legal action or get a restraining order, um, those emails would be really useful. Hi, this is a comment for the man that called in in the last episode because he felt that women didn't appreciate his romantic gestures. As a straight girl that's been on the receiving end of a lot of that kind of nice guy attention, I think part of the problem here is that that kind of generic bring you flowers, talk about what our kids might look like stuff feels pretty all well, generic. And like it's not about you as a person, it's more just about the idea of a girl and what a girl's like. And like they like you for being a girl rather than for being the person that you are. So my advice to the caller would be to listen to the women you date, find out the things that make them tick, what they personally like and try to be nice in that way. Hello. I listened to your podcast and <laughs> was really interested by the uh, the lady who called to say that she had a hard time keeping her boyfriend erect when she was giving him a blowjob. And I, too, have received similar blowjobs. I'm one of those guys that loves getting a blowjob. But what struck me was when she said they'd go soft, when she 
plays with their balls a little and gives them a little kiss or something like that. A guy, in my experience, is really going to love a blowjob where the woman is sucking on his cock and using her hand. Little feathery kisses and playing with your balls is not what a guy is going to want to keep his dick hard. So that's my two cents on that. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for